If you have your copy of God's Word, if you turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 11, be taking our text from this morning. Romans chapter 11. This will be part number 40 of our Rooting Through Romans sermon series. This morning, the title of our message is Salvation of Israel. Romans chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 25 through 36. We'll go ahead and read our text. And here the Bible says, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, There shall come out of Zion the, the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as you in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reading of your word this morning. Help us now as we try to preach. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When we pick up here where we left off last Sunday, we looked at those previous verses in this chapter. And this whole chapter, and actually the past two chapters before this, chapters 9 and 10, have been dealing with God's dealing with Israelites and the Gentiles. But the focus has been really on Israel and what God's plans are for them and the intentions he has for them. And uh, where they're at at, the, at that time and at this time. They're at the same place right now that they were when Paul uh, wrote this. And so it's all been focused really on the Israelites. And the question has always been, has God given up on the Israelites because they rejected their Messiah Jesus and they don't believe the gospel? Does that mean the Lord has turned from them, rejected them completely, and turned his focus only on the Gentile and the church? And the Gentiles and the church have replaced the Jews and Israel, is that what this means? And Paul's answer has consistently been what? God forbid. God forbid. That's what he keeps saying. No, that is not so. And so as we open up here in this text, this first thing he's saying uh, this morning is that he don't want them to be ignorant in this mystery. And so he says, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. You see, what could happen? These Jews, they would have... They would have gotten uh, in their heads what they think is the truth. You know, well, we've been rejected. We don't have a chance. God's left us and all this. And so he don't want them to make up their minds about the wrong thing and be ignorant of it. And he says, wise in your own conceits. You see, they would have thought they were really smart. Uh, you know, well, we were God's people for all these years. We know God inside and out. And we say that God has, has turned his back on us and has broken his promises. And Paul says, I don't want you to think that. In fact, he calls this a mystery. 
And we see this word mystery mentioned many times throughout the Bible in the New Testament. This mystery. He says they don't want them to be ignorant of it. And so this mystery is something that's been hidden in the past, but has a time to be revealed. Well, that time is now. It's been hidden all this time. And if you look at the very last chapter of Romans, this mystery is mentioned in Romans chapter 16. If you want to turn there and look at verses 25 and 26, uh, it's kind of the end of Paul's letter to the Romans, but it kind of sums up what we're talking about here with this mystery. Romans 16, verses 25 and 26. The Bible says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. Do you see that? It's been kept secret since the world began. But now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. See, this is, these are very important things that Paul has pointed out here. First of all, this mystery has been here since the world began, and it has, it's now been made manifest through the gospel. And he says that, that God's everlasting, uh, the knowledge of God, the everlasting God, the commandments, has been made to, known to all nations through the obedience of faith, not the obedience of works. And so the Jew always had in his mind, it's my works that's going to get me to heaven. It's my works that I'm going to be into the, the earthly kingdom. That's what they were looking for, was an earthly kingdom. They wasn't really looking for a place called heaven that they would go up to uh, like that. They were ex expecting their Messiah to rule and reign here on earth uh, in an earthly kingdom where everything would be perfect. And that's what the Lord could have done when he came the first time. If they'd have accepted their Messiah, he could have set up an earthly kingdom at that time. And they could have enjoyed that. But they rejected him. And so when he comes back the second time, it's going to be very different. He's not coming back as a lamb, meek, and lowly. He's coming back as a king, a conqueror. And he will establish an earthly kingdom. We call that the thousand-year reign of Christ, a millennial kingdom. And yes, this church is a millennial reign church. We believe in the millennial reign of Christ just as it details in the word of God. We don't believe that we're in that now like some people teach. We don't believe it's already happened as some people teach. There is no way. Because during the reign of Christ in the millennial kingdom, things are going to be perfect. We have a perfect ruler reigning. And the Bible says we will rule and reign with him, those that's been saved. So it has not happened yet. It's a time in the future that will occur. But it's been made to known to all nations through faith, not, not works. And so Paul wrote about this same mystery to several of the churches that he were, was at. In fact, over in uh, uh, the church at Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 2, uh, verses 6 and 8, the Bible says, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God, and here he says it again, in a mystery, even the hidden, hidden wisdom, which God ordained, here again, before the world uh, unto our glory which none of the princes of this world knew, for if they had known known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And Paul, so Paul teaching that church at Corinth about the mystery again, and uh, he says that it's been hidden. It's, this has been hidden from people. 
Because if the princes of this world knew the truth, if they, the mystery was revealed, they would not have crucified their Messiah. But they did, because the mystery is hid. And to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians 3, 1 through 6, the Bible says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, and notice he's speaking Gentiles here. Also in our text this morning that we're reading in in Romans chapter 11, he's speaking to Gentiles about the place of Israel. And so Ephesians, for this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which has given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words. Whereby, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So Paul there is explaining the place of the Gentile and, the, and Israel, and he says, just like the Jew has been hidden from this mystery. The Gentiles were hidden from this mystery until it was revealed to them. And now they are partakers of the promise. They're, he called, What do you call them? Fellow heirs. And so what do we always say? Because the Bible tells us that we are heirs, yea, joint heirs with Christ. And so we inherit the same things that Christ inherited. And Paul here, he keeps talking about the mystery. So it's obvious the mystery has been hidden from all ages, throughout all time, since the beginning of time. That's what we've learned right now in this in the Word this morning. And so, it will not be. It was not revealed to the world until after the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. After that, then that's what we call the gospel. Once the gospel has been introduced to the world, the mystery has been revealed. Ah, that's the answer to the mystery. So what's the mystery? Well, the mystery here is the Jews did not believe in part. Notice, and if you underline things in your Bible, look at that first verse there uh, where it says that blindness in part has happened to Israel. Notice in part. It didn't say as a whole. So all Israel was not blinded. There's some that were not, Paul being one of those. Paul had his eyes open. And, you know, as I was studying on this and praying about it, meditating on it, I kept thinking about how the Lord showed us in Paul's conversion on that road to Damascus. You remember what he did to him when he saved him? He blinded him, physically blinded him, his eyes. And it wasn't until he went there to Damascus and, and Ananias laid hands on him and said the scales fell off his eyes. And so I believe that's the Lord trying to show us how the Jew was blinded, but when they receive the gospel, then those scales fall off. When they hear and receive the gospel, those scales fall off. The mystery's been revealed, no longer a mystery, and they know the truth. And, of course, the truth is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, Paul was saved by faith. He had faith in the Lord Jesus. Paul had been kicking against the pricks. That means he was under conviction all that time when he was out persecuting the, uh, the church and Christians, pulling them from their homes, he'd been under conviction, heavy conviction. And so he was fighting it with all that he could. And the Lord stopped him there on that road to Damascus. But I do believe the blinding of Saul on that road to Damascus is, is the Lord showing us of the blindness of the Jew and how their, their eyes uh, 
uh, some of them, their eyes have been opened. And so the mystery is the Jews in part did not believe. Part of them were blinded to the gospel. And uh, so not every Jew, uh, of course, was blinded. Some were uh, revealed the mystery. And that would be what we call the remnant. Those of the remnant understood and believed the gospel and, and were saved. Uh, but the, uh, the rest of the part of, of Israel was blinded. Uh, so Paul tells us the blindness is going to continue until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So the Jews still under this blindness right now as we speak. From that day all the way, well actually, really if you could count when they went into Babylonian captivity, it kind of it, it began there with all this, with the Gentile power moving in and taking over. And so the time of the Gentiles started at that point there in Babylon uh, when they were taken to Babylonian captivity. Uh, but what, what we're talking about here, the fullness of the Gentile, Paul says this, this mystery, this blindness is going to be happening to Israel until the fullness of the Gentile. So what's the fullness of the Gentile? Well, what that means, that is the point to where God has saved every Gentile that's going to be saved up to the rapture of the church. So once the church is raptured out of here, then the mystery to the Jew is going to be revealed. The Jew's eyes will be opened, and then what happens after the church is raptured? The tribulation period. There's seven years of tribulation that occurs after the church is raptured out of here. And so God will turn his attention fully upon the Jew during that time. Now, we know from studying the Bible, Bible prophecy, and we've studied this many times at the church, that the church will be raptured before that tribulation period begins. Now, there's people today trying to teach that the church is going through it. The church is going through the first half of it. Uh, I don't know why they want to believe that, because it's not what the Bible teaches. From all that we can study in the Bible, the church is no longer on earth when the tribulation period begins. We're not here when the Antichrist is revealed. We're not here. Some people say, well, would I take on the mark of the beast even though I've been saved? You won't be here. If you've been saved, you won't be here for that. And so quit worrying about that. People worry about such silly things. And if you're truly saved, you cannot accept the mark of the beast. You can't. <laughs> uh, you know, people want to uh, scare people and get them all worked up and worry every time something happens in this world. The war in Ukraine going on right now. It's the ends of times. It's exactly what the... It, it is not. It is not. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. It's not the end of time. It, it's not even lining up with everything the scripture points to. Sure, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and, and things, but that's that's been happening for the last 2,000 years. And so don't be listening to all these you know, end-of-time prophecy people that get up there and try to tell you they know what's happening here and there and all this stuff, they don't have a clue. Just read God's Word and whatever it says, believe that. But as we can tell from the Bible, we are raptured out, the church is raptured out before the seven-year tribulation period. The first three and a half years, I know I keep saying this a lot, the first three and a half years is a time of false peace. When the Antichrist will come on the scene, he will look like the Savior of the world. People will bow down to him as if he is Christ. And he will buddy up with the Jews. He will act like their best friend. 
He'll give them everything that they want. He'll let them rebuild their temple, uh, go back to their daily sacrifices, and it's going to look like he's their greatest friend. But he is their greatest enemy. After that first three and a half years, then we hear of something called the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation is the time when the Antichrist turns on the Jew and reveals who he truly is. He will bare his teeth and he will try to wipe the Jew off the face of the earth. That is what the Bible keeps pointing toward it. You know, when that day, woe on that day, you know, they'll be running to the rocks and the hills and crying from the fall on them and uh, all these things. That is going to be a horrible time. But there are going to be Jews that are saved at this time. They'll be saved. There's going to be uh, all those Jewish evangelists that God has appointed to preach the gospel. And they're going to go around preaching. There'll be many Jews saved during that time period. And that is when their eyes are opened. Their eyes are opened. The remnant that it keeps referring to that are saved, those are saved during the time of the Gentile. Those are the ones that are going to be raptured out of the church. The remnant is not these that get saved during the tribulation period. Uh, they are those that will believe in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and will get saved the same way that you and I have been saved, by believing in Jesus. So there's always these out here that say, well, there's God saves different people in different ways, depending on the time period, you know, the dispensation. He saved people in this way. And in this dispensation, he, pre he saved them in another way. No, he didn't. Yes, there's dispensations where God works different ways with different people, but he saves them all the same. Those Old Testament saints, do you think they were saved in Christ back then? Not till the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross and buried and rose again. Then salvation came to them. Yes, those that placed their faith in him, they had that faith of the, in the Lord, and they, they got saved. The Lord, after he, of course, uh, uh, descended down into, uh, into the ground there and, and, and uh, brought those in captivity out of captivity, that's 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 those Old Testament saints, and so uh, it says in our in our next verse here. We'll, we'll keep going. Uh, did I finish up with the tribulation? Yeah, the, the, in the tribulation, the last three and a half years. And by the way, that's why it's called the time of Jacob's trouble, because Jacob is Israel. It's Israel's trouble, and it's the Lord bringing them around to the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they get saved the same way we get saved by faith in Jesus. You don't get saved any other way. There's no other way. And so, in that day, many Jews will be saved. And that's what Paul's referring to in our next two verses, back in Romans 11, verses 26 and 27. Look at it. And so, all Israel shall be saved, as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. All right, it says all Israel shall be saved. Does that mean every single individual Jew will be saved? Because some people teach that. Oh, if you're of Jewish descent, you don't have to worry about anything. You'll automatically be saved. Wrong. Do you think Judas Iscariot was saved? <laughs> Judas Iscariot is in hell. He wasn't saved. He's a Jew. Every individual Jew will not be saved. What this is referring to is the nation of Israel as a whole, as a people. The nation, in part, was blinded. They will no longer be blinded at this time. Their eyes will be open. 
And the majority of them will be saved. But there will still be those who will reject the truth of the gospel and will not be saved. So no, not every individual Jew will be saved, but all Israel will as a whole, the nation as a whole. So God turns his attention back to them. He's their God. They're his people. And he will take care of them. And so the mass of the Jews will come to Christ and be saved, but not every one of them. And Paul says, as it is written. So he's referring to places, of course, in the Old Testament that everybody would have been familiar with. Psalm 14, 7. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion, when the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people. Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. Psalm 53 and 6. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion, when God bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. Isaiah 46, 13. I bring near my righteousness, it shall not be far off, and my salvation shall not tarry, and I will place salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. So Paul, uh, of course, gives them this familiar, uh, the, the familiar things that they, they would know, about Zion and the the Messiah that would come, uh, Israel. He says the salvation, uh, all of Israel shall be saved. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer. The deliverer is their Messiah. And he'll turn away ungodliness from Jacob. In other words, he'll turn that rejection that they have around. And they'll no longer reject him. And he says that's his covenant unto them. And he'll take their sins away. They'll believe in him and he'll take their sins away. All right, look at verse 28, Romans 11. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. So you need to understand, like I said at the beginning, Paul is speaking to the Gentile here. And so look at it in that way. So when he says they are enemies, he means the Jews are enemies of the gospel. And when he says for your sakes, he means the Gentile sakes. So he's saying those unbelieving Jews are enemies of the gospel, but as Israel, they are loved by God as promised to their fathers. Their fathers are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Those are the fathers of the Israelites. And so God promised them that he would be their God. They would be their people. And so his gift and calling upon Israel is without repentance. He will not change his mind or be sorry that he promised them or go back on it. So it's without repentance. If God gives a gift and a calling, it's set in stone. He's not going to repent from it, turn from it, change his mind about it. And so while they may be enemies right now of the gospel, they are still loved by God. And there's nothing they can do or anyone else can do to undo that. Even though they're in unbelief and they reject Christ, he still loves them. And he will fulfill his promises. Now, a lot of people take that verse 29, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. If I, could, if I had a dollar for every Baptist preacher I've ever heard quote that when they're talking about somebody that no longer preaches or something, well, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. They're taking that completely out of context. This is speaking about the Jew here and God's plan for them. Sure, it, it will apply to us if God gives us a gift and a calling. He's not going to 
take it away or change his mind about it. You may neglect it or reject it or not go through with it, but it's still there. But men tend to take this verse and misuse it in the wrong way. Remember, there's always context for what God's word is. And you can take it out of context and use it here and there, but it doesn't mean that it's always right. So you always want to make sure that you're using it in the context that it's meant for. So there is one, uh, one interpretation with many applications. So you can, you can take, you need to know the true interpretation and then you can apply it in different ways depending upon if it's, if it's right or not. All right, so God's promises that he would be their God, they'd be his people. And he's not going to repent of that. Verse 30. For as ye in times past have not believed God. Now, the ye is the Gentiles. So Paul's saying to them, For you Gentiles in times past have not believed in God, yet now, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. So what did we talk about last Sunday? When the Jews... Did not uh, were in unbelief against God. God blinded them, and what did He do? He grafted in the Gentiles. That's what Paul's referring to here. He says, "Through their unbelief, you have obtained mercy." So when God blinded them, He accepted you, grafted you in. So remember, you used to be an unbeliever too, but God had mercy on you, and you believed. Verse 31, even so have these, these being the Jews, also now not believed. So he's saying the Jew right now is not believing. They're blind. That through your mercy, they also may obtain mercy. So because of the grafting in of the, of the Gentiles, remember what Paul said? Perhaps some will be saved when they see this and are jealous about what they have. And they'll turn toward the Lord Jesus to have what they have. And through them... Then uh, through the Gentiles, then the Jew can become saved because of, of what they uh, experience and see. Verse 32, for God has concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. So he says, God has concluded that all that's unbelief, so all Gentile, all Jew, but he's included everyone and had mercy upon all. So God sent his son into the world to save the world. Right? Because he loved the world. He didn't send his son because he only loved the Jew. He loved the Gentile as well. So he came unto us as well. And then Paul starts some of the most beautiful text in all the Bible. I mean, it, it's almost, it's too much for me. As I studied on this and, and trying to come up with exactly what I needed to say about these, my mind was just like, there were so many things in it. I was so clouded and, and getting bombarded with stuff. I couldn't come up with the proper words to explain it all. But I'll give you what, what I believe here. Uh, verse 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Notice these explanation marks. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. When I read this, I imagine Paul so excited, so overwhelmed of God's wisdom and knowledge and, and his, his judgments. And he says, it's past our finding out. Well, I, I can't even fathom this. It's the excitement that he had here. Um, this one verse we could preach, we could preach messages upon messages upon. Um, 
and still we wouldn't it, we couldn't cover it sufficiently. So Paul is an utter adoration of what God has done and what who God is and how wonderful he is. Our tiny little brains cannot even scratch the surface to even comprehend God. Uh, just the little bit that we know about him overwhelms us so much. And so I find myself really with complete loss of words on how to describe it. Um, when I think about God and all these things that Paul's talking about, the riches of his wisdom and knowledge, I imagine myself as a tiny grain of sand and then go to the ocean and drop that piece of sand in the ocean. That's how small I am compared to God. And that don't even compare how small I am. But that's how I feel when I think about God and everything that he, he is. Uh, that's how I feel like a little bitty grain of sand that just is lost out there in that ocean of God. And I think Paul felt the same way because look at our next uh, few verses there. Verse 34. He said, For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him? And it shall be recompensed unto him again. So he answered, or he asked these rhetorical questions, of course, about God. And he's using quotations again from the Old Testament, by the way. Uh, these are things that you'll find in Job, Jeremiah, and Isaiah, all these, these things about God's wisdom and his mind and him being a counselor. He says, who's not his mind? No one. Who has been his counselor? No one. You want to counsel God? Who has first given to him? No one. Why? God has always been. He's always first. Always. And so no one has given him anything first. God always has. No one has ever counseled God. He is the ultimate counselor. No one has known his mind. Oh, we try. We get saved. We try to have the mind of Christ and try to understand. We'll come nowhere near it. Our mind's like a piece of hamburger patty. Just nothing. Just a, a thick, I don't know, have a say it. So the answer is obvious. No one. No one. It's all of God, and that's what he says in the last verse. That last verse I posted on our church Facebook page yesterday. For of him, let me, let me start again. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. How, how better could you even explain that? Paul says, it's all of him. It's all through him and to him. All things on this earth, everything is all for God. You know, we think everything's for us. I deserve this. I deserve that. The world owes me something. None of this is for you. None of it's for me. It's all for God. We're here for his pleasure. We're here for whatever his purpose is. It's not about us. It's all about God. As Pastor Sexton often said, he's always previous. God is always previous. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. This, uh, this, this chapter of Romans is one of the toughest that you'll ever uh, read in the Bible and comprehend. It's only by the grace and mercy of God that we're able to do anything with it. And I appreciate... Uh, 
you know, everything that, that he's showed us in his word. I don't feel like that I am a good enough preacher. I don't have enough understanding really to explain it uh, the best. Uh, only can do what God gives me to do. And uh, I, I urge you to study God's word yourself. Pray about it. Meditate upon it. And uh, get into it as, as good as you can. And these such treasures as these last few verses, they're so overwhelming. All that. All the way from 33 to 36 of this, this chapter is just, it's overwhelming to me. All right, well, I better go Lord in prayer before I get worked up and have to preach again. Our Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning. Thank you so much for this precious word that you've given us. God, the riches of your glory, your wisdom, everything that is of you and for you. Oh, God, we're so thankful. Lord, you were nothing in your sight. I know that. Lord, we're just so small. Oh, God, we're so thankful that you loved us enough that you had mercy upon us and saved us. Lord, we're praying for those out there today that's lost. God, that their eyes will be open. Lord, and, and you will reveal yourself to them and their need for salvation. Lord, just look to you and live. God, thank you for saving me back in 1972. Lord, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And Lord, I know there's a place for me one day. When I leave this walk of life, Lord, and I get to go to heaven in that place that you said that you prepared for me. Oh, Lord, I thank you for that. God, I'm praying for those that are lost. Lord, would you help them? Can we help lead them to the light somehow, Lord? Help us, Father. These things we ask in the name of Jesus. And amen. Amen.